In the last class, we took up the portion of Srimad Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam, which deals with the six questions which were asked to the Sutta, Sutta Goswami, Sutta Ugrasravasa, who was passing through the Naimisharanya, where the Shonaka and all other saints were performing some sacrifice. And they ask six questions in a response to which the discussion on the Srimad Bhagavatam, the re-narration of the Srimad Bhagavatam ensued. So the six questions, what were the six questions? The first was, what's the purpose of life? So this was not answered at the very beginning as we have mentioned, but to answer that the entire Srimad Bhagavatam was again narrated. So in short, just to have a gist of this, the answer to the sixth question, what is the purpose of life? To develop love for God. So if that's the fact, that if we have to develop love for the divine, then for what purpose are all those elaborate sacrifices that has been uh, enumerated, described in the Vedas, they are meant for? That's the second question. What's the purpose of the Vedas? the Karmakandas of the Vedas. So the answer was, actually they are to please the Lord. So the answer we may find at, at present, very simple answer, but that's what happens in our life. What happens that we resort to some rituals to show our devotion and in the process of time, the devotion we forget. The rituals become the be-all and end-all of our existence. They turn out to be the meaningless rituals, meaningless repetition of the mantras, no heart, no love, nothing. Those elaborate rituals be itself becomes the be-all and end-all of existence. We forget the purpose for which it was meant. I will just in this context uh, relate a wonderful a conversation between Ramindranath Tagore and Mahatma Gandhi. Before the independence, at the time of the Swadeshi movement, Mahatma Gandhi found that because of our cotton being exported to England, 
And from their textile, the cloths were coming to India at much exaggerated price. It was a part of an evil of colonialism. Our cotton we are using, it is coming at an exaggerated price, which the people cannot afford. afford. And we find that the Swadeshi movement started with the idea, let us boycott all the British goods. Let us wear coarse clothes. Let us have our handwoven meals at home, charka. With that, we will weave our clothes. So as a mass movement, it started. The Swadeshi movement with the charka movement. Now, Ravindranath Tagore was very had very, was in very good terms with Mahatma Gandhi, but they had the difference of opinion. Ravindranath Tagore asked, do you think just by cutting, just by producing, just by having cloths through the charka can sustain the economy of a nation where you find that industrialization is the mainstream of the global economy, where we stand? Just by charka, how can you sustain the economy of a nation in this global market? How can it be a practical solution to what you think is the exploitation of the British? Is it a practical solution? According to Ravindranath, actually the solution was that we ourselves has to industrialize to cope up with the textile of the West. It's not going back to the charka. But Mahatma Gandhi replied, what you say, I do understand. But at the same time, just to develop a sense of national feeling, that people may feel that a love for the nation, for that we need some tangible practices. So charka, you can say, has to do with that. Most probably it has not nothing to do with the economy. In the long run, most probably what you say, yes, industrialization is required. But just to develop a sense of patriotism, some sorts of acts are necessary. So according to Mahatma Gandhi, it was a type of ritual. More than sustaining the economy of the nation, it was a type of ritual. And we find Rabindranath very nicely is telling there are what he's saying in response that within a few days, people will forget the purpose for which they are using the charka. They will forget that. It will become just a ritual like something at each and every household. I don't think with that, the real patriotism will grow. So this was the opinion of Rabindranath Tagore. And when this conversation is happening, when Swami Vivekananda has returned from the West and wherever he's going, passing from that, this, his famous lectures from the Colombo to this Almora, throughout India, from the Sri Lanka, he started to the Himalayas. Wherever he's going, he's just, there was a huge tsunami regeneration. The people got a real interest in reviving the national values, the national ethos, the national culture. They thought that the Indian culture is merely superstition. Swami Vivekananda brought back the faith and we found a huge tsunami, a huge upheaval in the entire nation. Wherever he's going, masses are following him. And Ravindranath saw that. And then very nicely he's commented, commenting, comparing the Gandhi's philosophy of much later, that 
much later, of course, this Gandhi's philosophy of Charkha, he compared with that when he saw Swami Vivekananda coming back from the West. He saw it earlier. And later he saw this Mahatma Gandhi. And what Nasri is commenting, that if Mahatma Gandhi has motivated the finger of the nation, Swami Vivekananda has motivated the heart. So why we are just trying this instance that rituals, however, with good intention we may start, at last, sometimes we find it becomes something meaningless. We forget the passion behind it, the love, the patriotism, everything we forget. The national flag, just on the Independence Day to hoist the national flag becomes a ritual. We forget how much sacrifice was there behind it. So in every field, we will find that the rituals, elaborate rituals, at last makes us forget the purpose of it. There's a famous song of Rabindranath Tagore, Tomar Pujar Chhale Tomai Bhule Thaki. Means in the pretext of worshipping you, we forget you. That with, behind the, there's Dhuper Dhuar Pichare Tomai, Paine Tomar Choron Chhoar. Fuler Mala Diper Alo, Dhuper Dhuar Pichon Hote, Paine Tomar. That all those elaborate rituals where you are using the incense, the smoke of the incense as it creates a barricade between you and the divine, the flowers, the heap of flowers is as if creating an attic, this barricade between the you and the divine. You forgot the purpose. So that's the thing we find that and the first question was if love of God is the purpose, then why all these elaborate rituals? This question is asked because people have forgot that actually the rituals are meant to please the divine. The rituals has become the be all and end all of all the spiritual practices. Instead of developing love for God, they are a means to go to Swarga, to have the same type of life in the afterworld. So the purpose they have forgot. That's why we will find in the script, the Bhagavatam, they are indicating after all, all these rituals, elaborate rituals are meant to please the Lord. It is for him to, as an offering, we are performing those all sacrifices. So the next question, if that be so, then yes, we have to remind the people that yes, the rituals has to be done with the original idea of pleasing the divine as an offering to the divine. Don't forget that and resort to the Vedas. Then what's the purpose of the Lord's advent? That was the third question. But if that be so, if love of God is there and the rituals, elaborate rituals are meant for loving the God through some tangible way, what's the need for the Lord's advent? Why does he incarnate again and again? And then we will find throughout the Bhagavatam, the answer is given. Why it's required? that all those elaborate rituals almost becomes meaningless in the present age. We cannot just think of performing them because of our busy schedule from morning to evening, we are find ourselves totally engaged in our livelihood. Just to earn our livelihood, we are so busy. There is no time and then we are short-lived. The lifespan is something which won't allow us to go for those intricate, elaborate rituals. 
So the Lord incarnates so that by holding unto his way of life, we can rise up. What the Leela means, to give an example, we will just uh, relate to one of the Swami Vivekananda's famous statement. When Swami Vivekananda was back from the West to India and he has already established Belumat, and the Brahmacharins were all joining. And then one of the Brahmacharins one day asked Swami Vivekananda, Swamiji, that your lectures are wonderful. It's highly inspirational. But in our day-to-day life, what to do? That please give us, please give us a framework following which we can progress in spiritual life. We need some framework. Swami Vivekananda, very interestingly he told, in Bengali the sentence I will say, then I will translate. Ja korar tar dher beshi korechi tora shudu degeja. Means in this life, what has to be done? I have done profusely more than that. More than that. In just this short span of love, what has to be done? I have done more than that. I have done enough. What you have to do, this is Dege Java. This word Dege Java is very interesting. In Hindi, in Bengali, in the original Indian languages, Daga means to just uh, make some mark. In Bengali, in the olden days, this word Dege Java was there, which is not used now. It is what it means. That how a child learns to write. It's a very interesting way. How? The first, the mother, the father, or the teacher will write the alphabets. Maybe in the paper or in a slate. They will write and they will hold the child's hand along with the pen, along with the pencil. And they will assist the child to mark over, to just scribble over the alphabet which they have written. We all have learned writing that way. By scribbling over already written alphabets by our parents, we have learned writing. The already written alphabets by our parents or by teachers, we have scribbled over them and we have learned writing. So that's what Swamiji is saying. In this this page of life, what has to be written? We have written enough of it by our own life. What you have to do is just go on scribbling over that, our life. You will find your life has been transformed. So that's the meaning of Leela. He comes down so that we get something to scribble upon. So that by scribbling upon that, we rise up. Shankaracharya very nicely have described sadhana. What is sadhana? For a realized soul, the spontaneous way of living. It's not that they plan to live in a certain way. Very spontaneously the way they live. When we try to imitate that, that becomes sadhana for us. Something is very spontaneous for them. The detachment, the renunciation, the discrimination, the love for God, all those are spontaneous. When seeing them, we try to imitate that, that becomes sadhana. For us, that becomes a practice. For them, that is not a practice, that is spontaneous. So the avatar comes for Leela this Kevalam. Just to do it in a very spontaneous, very, very playful manner. It enters in the life of Ramakrishna. We find very interesting one incident. We will say, how playfully do you do it? Hajra Mahasaya, he was of the idea that one has to do a very intense, severe sadhana. 
and he wanted to show it to others. So when the devotees used to come, he will sit in the portico of the Ramakrishna's room just outside and he will constantly go on just repeating the name of the Lord with a rosary. With the rosary in his hand, he used to go on doing japa. One day Sri Ramakrishna came to him and just told, see, that, that I cannot somehow this rotate this rosary. I cannot use this rosary. And Hajra never understood why one cannot use the rosary. Then Ramakrishna took the rosary from Hajra and told, let me try. He took it in his left hand and he just turned it by one bead. There are 108 beads in that rosary. He turned in one bead and his hand stopped. He was totally motionless. He went into deep samadhi. So this speaks of the spontaneity. That we are trying to concentrate our mind bead by bead by keeping the mind in that our repeating the name and in the count. And for him, he cannot do that. Why he cannot do that? Because his mind spontaneously goes to that state of samadhi. Just one bit he turned. That also in left hand. He knew very well. If he takes it in right hand and try to do it, he cannot do it. So he took it in left hand that yes, that's not the hand in which I'm not habituated. And he goes into deep samadhi. So that's the habitual state. There's a habitual state for an avatar. When we try to do it, it becomes sadhana. So they come down, they live a life which with spontaneity in a playful way. That's the Leela. That's why we call it Leela. Leela means some sport. It's not something very serious for them, but for us to just that to scribble over that life becomes sadhana. So when they took the, the purpose was told that they come, that so that holding unto their Leela, we can raise up, rise up. So naturally the next two questions that follows, that what was his Leela as Krishna? He came as Krishna. He came as other avatars. That was the fifth question. What was his sport, divine sport, holding unto which, scribbling over which we can rise up? So that's, please relate to us, so that hearing that, we can inculcate them, we can internalize them, we can try to internalize them in our life. Please relate that. So that's the fourth and the fifth question. And the last question was, yes, God do incarnate. He comes, he plays with his devotees, a wonderful Leela he enacts in this life. They're really fortunate who comes in association with them when he's living. But he, after some time, as uh, even the Lord, when he is enacting as a human being, he has to enact exactly like a human being. So for him also, like birth, death is there as per this physical plane of existence is concerned. There is antardhana, the lila ceases after some time. This huge merriment we find in the Bible very nicely that Jesus is saying that as long as I'm there, it just this, it's a party. Enjoy the party. When I am gone, it's gone. So when he is gone, holding unto which, holding unto what, the religion can thrive. When he is there, the entire creation is as if, what you say is throbbing with spirituality. He brings a new movement to the world. But when he's gone, holding onto which, holding onto what, the religion will survive. Yes. That's the sixth question. And there it, the answer will be, which the Bhagavatam will give. 
is the scripture itself. His lila, which has been, which is encoded in the scripture. What he has played, that in the form of words has been as if encoded in the scripture. By reading them, we have to decode it through our life. Unless the Lord comes down and plays the lila, the scripture sometimes has no meaning. If you don't have as a reference any great life, just read the scripture, we will make a mess out of it. We will just have a lot of uh, uh, misunderstanding. There will be a gap of understanding. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, in our attempt to make the image of Shiva, we will make the image of a monkey. It is only these lives when we take as a referral point and then read the scriptures, the scriptures reveals. We understand the meaning. You just take out those lives and try to read the scriptures. We will find we are confusing. We cannot understand the meaning. So these lives are there, the lila. And when they are not there, the scriptures are there. So with the help of the scriptures, we have to relate to those lives. And that's what can sustain us. So that's the wonderful thing for any religion, for any scripture. This is the six questions, such a nice question which has been asked, which we find as an introduction to the Bhagavatam. Or what is true for any other scripture is true for this Bhagavatam also. There's a scripture holding unto which it is not that where if you just read some abstract philosophy, you can ever really relate to it. You will be confusing. That's why the life is required. So as Sri Ramakrishna used to one day ask Naren that what is the use of scriptures? It is just like an almanac. When almanac was lying there, he asked Naren, bring that almanac, read what's the forecast. Yes, this year there is going to be torrential rain in the rainy season. Is it going to be torrential rain? So it is written there. Squeeze that almanac. So Narin was surprised. Why is asking? And then Ramakrishna is saying, why? Do you think a single drop of water will come out if you squeeze the book? <coughs> Not a single drop of water. As long as you don't get a drop of water, it is just a mere book. Nothing else. It mentions about profuse rain, but it's just a book. So scriptures are just mere dry books unless it has been enlivened by the life of an avatar. So that's the thing which is encoded there. We have to go through them and try to relate the principles, the philosophy of mentioned in the scriptures with those life to find the meaning and then inculcate in our life. That's what Sravana Manana Nididhyasana means. I hear I manana, I cogitate whatever is this philosophy with those lives. And once I understand, then the process of internalization is nididhyasana, the practice. That's the degejava, that's the scribbling over those lives. And that's what is being uh, is answered in the sixth question. There's the scriptures. So after saying this, now we find the importance of the scriptures like Srimad Bhagavatam. That these are the books where all those divine lila has been enacted. Not only the divine lila has been mentioned, at each and every step we find, along with the divine lila, the speaking of the principles, the speaking of the philosophy which, is, which has been spoken in the Vedas, and they're relating to it. And that's how the scripture becomes meaningful.
So with this, we find that the entire uh, Bhagavatam, the introduction of the Bhagavatam is actually because of the inspiration of the sage Narada. It is the Narada who came when Vyasa was perplexed that after write, after uh, dividing the Vedas into four parts, writing 18 Puranas, composing the Mahabharata, he has uh, even composed the Brahma Sutras and he found still he couldn't motivate the people to the spiritual life after such a stupendous job. He was perplexed. He knew not what to do. It's then which, when Narada comes to give a prescription with a suggestion that why not describe the life of Krishna which you have seen. It was enacted in your presence. That's the thing which will be something and liberating for the humankind. So we find that actually it is the Narada, Rishi Narada, who is the source, who is the inspiration of this scripture. So his life is very interesting. That has been enunciated in the Bhagavat, in Srimad Bhagavatam, in the fifth and the sixth chapter of the first part of the first book of Bhagavatam. So we will today just try to highlight the life of Narada, that wonderful life, that how an ordinary boy, an orphan, he's an orphan, not of a very high caste. He's the son of a maidservant. Just see the scripture. Sri Ramakrishna used to say a wonderful thing. Ak upaye jati prutha uthe jate pare. There's only one way where, by which you can get rid of all the distinctions, the caste distinctions. What's that? Bhakti. Once you are a bhakta, you have transcended all the caste. Bhaktir kono jatni. The simple words of Ramakrishna we find is exemplified in the life of Narada. He is the son of a maidservant. The Shudra class. And his mother was a widow. And she used to just do some menial jobs in the in some ashrama where the sadhu state, like cleaning and cleaning the vessels, cleaning the ashram, that's the work. And that's how, as a young boy, as a small boy, Narada, along with his mother, used to go to the ashrama, and used, that's how he came in association with the monks. So in the 23rd sloka of the fifth chapter of the first part of Bhagavatam, this is indicated. Ahang Pura. And this happened not in this cycle. In the previous cycle of creation, it's happened. Not in this cycle. Narada is the one who is like a Nitya Siddha. Sri Ramakrishna says that he's ever perfect. Once he has reached the perfection, nothing can delude him. Cycles after cycle, they are there for the benefit of the humankind. They never forget their real nature. They never forget their devotion. They come back again in the next cycle to help the humankind. We may say, where is Narada? Yes, they are there in all the so-called the mental world. When we meditate, if you know for certain that sometimes we feel that just by repeating the mantra, very quickly I am developing devotion. Know it for certain. It is the mental vibrations which they have created, which is helping us. To give a common example, suppose you are not in a good mood and you somehow feel that uh, you try to meditate, it's nothing is happening. You somehow cannot come out of that 
slumber of that uh, depressed uh, mental the mental state and then someone tells okay let us go to some temple and even unwillingly most probably someone told you accompany him go to the temple just sit there for a while and suddenly you find your mind have changed what has happened that when the temple when all the people go there they go with the with with that motivation that that's the place for some time we will forget the world we will try to contemplate on the divine and we create a mental vibration there the spiritual vibration in our in bhagavatam in one place it is mentioned how the tirthas are formed tirthi kurvanti sadhava it is not formed automatically it has not been formed in heaven and thrown on earth it is we the ordinary humans who have made that place holy by going there and thinking good thoughts for ages together and that's how a wonderful vibration has been created and we get the benefit out of it when you are not in a good mood you just go and you find your mind has changed suddenly you find that you can relate to that sublime vibrations there similarly this narada muni and all you may say yes they are not physically present they are there in the shukshma sharira to have just with this all these thought waves with the help of mantras when you can relate to that thought wave immediately there is a tremendous force acting on you to help you to uplift mentally and progress in spiritual life in a very high, in a very fast in accelerated pace so this is this narada in the previous cycle when he was a small boy he used to go with his mother to serve those all those sages the monks the recluses that's being mentioned ahang pura atita bhave atita bhave means in the last millennium formerly in the pura means formerly in the last millennium abhavang mumane i was born abhavang i was born as a son of dasyaha astu kasyachana vedavadinam nirupita balaka eva yoginam shushrushane pravrishi nirvi vikshatam so what is this oh oh muni actually narada is describing his life to vyasa that how he has developed devotion that he is narrating that is being again uh, what you say this that has been again written in the scripture bhagavatam of shrimad bhagavatam that oh muni oh narada muni formerly the pura in the last millennium atita bhave i was born abhavang i was born as the son of a certain maid servant this kasyachit kasyachana dasah dasah astu kasyachana i was of a, i was the son of a maid servant who was engaged in the service of the brahmanas who were following the principles of the vedanta of the vedavadinam of vedanta i was just serving them and then when they were living together they were all living in one place in ashrama nirvivikshatam they were all living there when they were living generally they were mendicants just to move around but even now the tradition is there for four months during the rainy season during the rainy season in the four months they stay in one place because that's the time when the land becomes infested with snakes and all those uh, poisonous insects uh with venomous insects and snakes and weather of course is not favorable to move around so they stay in one place the chaturmasya 
that's mentioned as the pravrishi here in this world so during those four months when they were staying there my mother for the purpose of sustrusha sustrushane she used to visit there she was a maid servant and i used to accompany her and then what what's the, the next sloka what is saying te mai apeta akhila chapale arbhake dante adhrita kriranake anuvartini chakru kripang yadyapi tulya darshana susrumane munayo alpabhashini so that he though as a small boy he had some very very good quality sublime qualities very good qualities he had so that qualities enabled him to get the impart the, the grace of those sages the blessings of those sages how so though they are impartial by nature yadyapi tulya darshana they are all impartial by nature those followers of those vedanta those munayo but they blessed him the small boy because of that's that's the humility of narada there was no reason causeless mercy those chakru kripang by causeless mercy they have without unconditional mercy they blessed me and as for his concern as for i was concerned that's narada is saying he also of course had some qualifications to be showered by those grace what's those those qualifications these are the thing how scripture has to be related it is telling the story but more important than the story is now these qualifications which should we should never forget which should be in our mind and we have to internalize inculcate those are the way we have can scribble if you just take it as a story but after reading just like a novel we forget it but it's not a story through the story now it will speak he himself will be speaking of those qualities which enabled him to get the blessings the grace unconditional grace of the sages what are those dant he was self controlled he had this this the the nature of uh, this delaying the gratification he was not after the senses he was self controlled dant he was not like other children too much attached to sports adhrita kriranake by nature he was calm and composed not always running around playing with other children all the shorts of uh, sports generally we find with the children he somehow from the childhood because of his good sanskara had that calm and composed nature had no attachment for excessive sports adhrita kriranake and even though uh, though he was a boy it's that even though he was a boy arbhake arbhaka is the boy even though he was a boy it's quite obvious that they should be restless but no he never had too much attachment for sports and he was not restless apeta akhila chapale he was not restless and the, so let's see that what are the qualities which has been mentioned self control calm poised and the last thing which is mentioned in this sloka is alpabhashini not talkative not throughout the day just gossiping thus by talking our mind gets very easily distracted 
in the medieval ages in the christian monastery this silence was one of the requisites that without any purpose no talk should be there even in all other religious traditions we find the silence has been given a tremendous importance because unless uh, we stop talking we will never know that we are constantly talking in our mind the only difference between a mad person and the so called normal person is whatever talk is going on in the mind the mad person speaks it out and that's why we say he's mad if we speak out what we are thinking constantly we will be declared as mad there is no congruence in the thoughts what shots of nonsense is going on and we cannot know it unless we stop this external talk we stop this external talk then you have to stop the talk which is going on in your mind that's the real uh, what do you say that alpa bhasha when we can stop the talk which is going on in my mind that is the real practice of mauna and for that first this external this too much of speaking has to stop with that we can never control our mind so just see in the form of story he is mentioning the qualities and then not only that the next sloka speaks something that one of the qualities of developing devotion that how uh, that the vibes the vibrations the good vibrations we in we being in association with a spiritually illumined soul helps us all the association helps us how what uchishtalepa anumodita dvijay that he has he is a poor boy so as food what was the he had not proper sustenance he has no proper means of sustenance the sages after taking the food the boy asks them can i take the remnants of what you have and they permitted anumodita dvijay the dvijas the one who had second birth so spirituality is the second birth they are the dvija dvija means twice born first we are born as a biological being and then we get the initiation in the spiritual life that's our second birth so here all the sages were that dvija they had that second birth they were all born in the realm of spirituality so this dvija they permitted yes after taking the food whatever is remaining uchishtalepan he was allowed to take that swakritsma bhunje tat apastakil visha evam pravrittasya विशुद्ध चेतस तत्म एवात्म रुचि प्रजाते सो वंस ओनली परमिटेड आई टूक द रेमनेंट ऑफ द फूड एंड बाई सो डूइंग ऑल माई सीन्स वेर एट वंस इराडिकेटेड सो दैट इज द इम्पॉर्टेंस ऑफ प्रसाद द वर्ड प्रसाद मीन्स एक्चुअली वर्ड प्रसाद मीन्स प्रशांति कामनेस द thing which is offered to the divine to the sages that is called prasad because taking that just by that physical thing you find prashanti in your mind apart from the tanmatras apart from the vibrations related to that food the idea itself is also very important when you are taking that food what's the idea it is a food which is the the holy person has taken this thought itself sanctifies 
your mind sanctifies the food sanctifies the mind you along with the food you're taking physically the food but in your mind you're thinking of that holy soul and all the things which has made him holy so that's how it purifies the mind you again in it's a law of association it's just the simply the law of association by which your mind is getting purified thus being engaged i became purified in heart and that time the very nature of this all this the very nature of the my very nature of this sages became attractive to me i started feeling attraction towards them through the food i developed an attraction towards them and then what is saying tatra anu aham krishna katha pragayata anugrahena अनुग्रहेनुपदीहिंगयर about the divine glories the attractive activities of lord krishna krishna katha pragayata and this listening attentively my taste for hearing of the personality of the godhead increased this anugrahena when they allowed me to hear and i was hearing attentively ta sraddhaya me anupadam visrinvata my faith my devotion developed for it priyasvasi angamama and just by listening to that attentively that i started developing faith prayer it became something more dear to me and it has it purified me i developed ruchi i developed some taste for the divine before hearing those divine glories you see all the qualities which we have to imbibe in the form of stories being mentioned that just we started with at danta and then calmness self control calmness and then silence alpa bhasha and then trying to relate uh, to the divine personality sadhu sanga not only by, means in all the levels physically by serving them by having the prasada there's a food which they have taken by partaking that by hearing all the divine talks which they are speaking you are internalizing all the spiritual values so that's the thing see all the qualities in the form of the stories is being mentioned that makes the scripture so attractive in that association so then what is being spoken of the next uh, sloka tasmin tada labdha ruche mahamate priyasravasi askhilata askhalita टेस्ट divinely talks spoken by all those rishis what happened to me then my attention to hear 
for the lord became unflinching i just like to hear it more and more this priyasravasi akhilata matima constantly to hear about it that unflinching uh, like li- liking for the divine words just something became more and more in me so that's how the love is increasing for the divine talk and that creates a flow that wonderful flow your mind becomes contemplative so then what happens as my taste developed i could realize that it was only in my ignorance that i had accepted gross and subtle coverings but gradually by hearing you understand the strife you just try to relate to the words of the scripture and you what you understand that actually i am the divine being my relationship with the lord is eternal the lord is divine i am also divine as i have taken the covering of this body the gross body this physical body the subtle body the mind the this mind and this psychophysical existence with a sense of limitation as i have taken this i forgot my eternal relationship with the divine but hearing that it gradually dawned in my mind that after all i am in eternal association with the divine and this uh, my attachment to this coverings with my with my body with my mind started attenuating falling off so that's how what's happening this does during this two seasons the rainy season consists of the, uh, the rainy this two months of rainy season followed by the two months of the autumn so this rainy and the autumn this sharat and pravrishiko the rainy is the pravrishiko and sharat is the rainy season ithang sharat pravrishiko ritu hare for this four months constantly i had the opportunity to hear this divine talks vishrinvato me anusavam yasho amalam so i was allowed to hear the untainted unadulterated glories of the lord when you are speaking of the lord there is no chance of a single worldly thought to enter if you read the gospel you will find that wonderful thing as ramakrishna was always absorbed with the in the divine there are days where for 14 hours 15 hours ramakrishna is interacting with the devotees people are coming especially on the weekends the marvelous thing is not a single worldly talk if you read the gospel not a single worldly talk that how are you how is your grandson when your son is going to be married nothing of that sort it is just talking of god and god and when you are talking of god there cannot be a single thing which is adulterated which is impure so that's that's what meaning of the word amalam yasho unadulterated glories of the lord that he was hearing constantly sankirtyamanam munibhir mahatmabhir bhakti pravrittatma rajastama apaha so as by hearing this as this flow of my devotional service began the coverings of raja and tama my passions my ignorance they started falling off so just see how through his life is relating and then gyanam guihatamam yatyat sakshat bhagavat uditam anvavochan gamishyanta kripaya dinavatsala 
So as they were living after four months, these Vedantins, who were very kind to this me, this such a poor self-hearted soul, they instructed me. That was most confidential subject, which is instructed by the personality of the Godhead himself. Means the God incarnated through his life, he just have shown the path which was followed by these saints and this saints related all those glories of the Lord. So that's what, and they did it out of mercy, without any mercenary gain. I was a poor fellow. I have nothing to give. It was just with a sense of unconditional mercy. They gave me that wonderful knowledge. And that, what with that, what happened? That whatever work is done here in this life for the satisfaction of the meeting, for this, for the satisfaction of the Lord, for his mission, that is bhakti yoga. So this loving service to the Lord is what is called uh, this bhakti. And the jnana is just a helping factor to it. So yadatra kriyate karma bhagavat paritoshanam jnanam yatyat adhinanghi bhakti yoga samanvitam. You know, first with your intellect, the purpose of the divine advent and there the work of the intellect stops. It is just the uh, external apartment. It is just the it is just the exterior of the Lord's mansion. If you have to go to the interior apartments, it is only through the bhakti. So the first you just know the purpose of the advent of the divine, and once you know it, as Sri Ramakrishna very nicely is mentioning to so many of his devotees that you won't have to do much. Once you know who I am and once you know who you are and what's the relation between you and me, your work is done. So that's the jnana. Once then naturally a tremendous uh, love, devotion will develop and you won't have to do anything uh, willfully then the rest of the spiritual practice will be will just uh, will happen through spontaneous through spontaneity once you know who you are once you know who i am what's the relation between you and me so once that jnana is there then the bhakti is then follows and that's the bhakti which will take you to the ultimate goal so whatever work is done here in this life for the satisfaction of the lord that's alone is bhakti and all the knowledge which enables you to know of the mission of the Lord. So that's just the helping factor. So these rishis helped him to have the awareness of the divine and which subsequently followed by the love, tremendous love for the divine. So this next sloka is something very, very important. Iti murtim abhidhanena mantra murtim amurtikam so one who worships Abhidhanena, actually the ultimate reality is formless, Amurtikam. The Yajya Purusha, the ultimate God health, is the formless. So then this, what's this form means? Well, it's the path, it's the procedure which takes me ultimately 
to that transcendental, formless aspect of the divine. So mantra murtim or murtikam. How to reach the formless? Through murti, through mantra. Oh, this is wonderful words. Mantra murtim amurtikam. So this is how the rishis instructed him. Gave him a mantra. Spoke about the divine incarnation and his form. How white in spiritual life. Many may say that you that this idolatry has no place in spirituality. The moment we say that we do a big mistake. If you somehow meditate on a form and take the help of a mantra, your spiritual journey becomes very smooth. You know why? Swami Vivekananda in one place is describing the science behind this mantra murti, which leads you to amurti. Forget about the ultimate reality. Just take my mind at present. Let us start where I am. I find my mind has countless thoughts. But what's the thought if you just Try to find out the nature of each and every thought. Each and every thought has two components. When I'm thinking, suppose I'm thinking about you, thinking about a person, what happens? The moment I think of Mr. A, first in my mind, I will be visualizing his form. Automatically it comes and his name, I will have to to just think about him, his name I have to repeat. So the thought has two components. Whenever I'm thinking, I'm internally, I'm talking and I am visualizing. These are the two things constantly happening. Your each and every, when the thought is linked with these two components, one is this, the language and another is the visualization. Constantly it is happening. So when I try thinking that the Lord is formless and try to meditate, maybe, uh, you are resorting to some mantra, but not some form. What happens? You will find sometimes that the the mind is repeating the mantra, but it is visualizing so many things. Why it has happened? Because you have taken care of only one aspect of the thought. That the language aspect. Yes, by the mantra, you most probably have taken care of. But the visualization aspect is free. So the chance of getting distracted is more when I am not trying to visualize something. So that's why in this our tradition, this wonderful tradition, that they give some, there's a bhakti, in the bhakti tradition, they speak of the form of the divine, the form in which is encoded his entire life. Just thinking of that, you think of the entire life, the wonderful spiritual life. And that helps you to keep the visualization factor of your thought engaged and the mantra keeps the language aspect of the thought engaged and now the chances of distraction gets reduced and when you can really meditate by keeping this visualization fixed as well as the name the language part of it and the fixed to one thought with the practice when you can go to the flow we have discussed in other classes also, when you go to the flow, what happens? Other thought starts falling off. The mind, the more it gets engrossed in this one thought, the form and the name. Other things are getting all, are falling off from your mind. And when your mind becomes more intensely absorbed because you have developed love for it, 
the more you develop love the meditation becomes spontaneous just the way the mother never has to meditate on the child the love makes him think of the child automatically so when you develop that love by constant thinking that love develops and once that develops the meditation becomes more and you will find what is happening even the bodily feeling starts falling off your hunger thirst and at last a little portion of your mind which is always engaged to keep your ego intact that also falls off you became become one with the object of meditation that's the samadhi when there is there's no sense that i am meditating the ego has been taken away your mind is totally focused you become identified with the object of meditation and that's the time a wonderful thing happens the moment you reach there you get identified with the object of meditation you are actually going beyond the mind beyond the ego and suddenly that takes you to that realization of that formless aspect of the divine that's why sri ramakrishna used to say all the divine forms are a hole in the wall of ignorance or ego by meditating by with the help of that form and the name you are as if chiseling a hole in the wall of ego and when the chiseling is complete when the hole is complete you are peeping through it you see infinity infinite expanse formless so this form becomes the framework through which you peep into the infinity so now you can relate this wonderful so if we read this mantra is not just a story that's why the this all the slokas are important because the, these words you go into the words and try to understand then you find what a wonderful thing has been spoken of there when you read it as just as a story forgetting the mantras then it becomes a story these forget this intri- this small small intricate the suggestions which has been given in the scripture we miss it so just see mantra murtim amurtikam iti murtim abhidhanena with the help of this murti with the help of this mantra i it takes me to the amurti yajate yagya purusham the one who can do that sa samyak darshana puman he is the one by going to that real, that realization he becomes the actual seer samyak darshana there is no more imagination as long as the chiseling process is going on it is pure imagination you may have a vivid visualization still it's a imagination but when the chiseling is complete the ego has fallen off you have created a hole in the wall of ego now you have the real vision the actual vision that you have take it has taken you beyond the mind so that is the samyak darshana now nothing can delude you before that everything is a belief maybe you are having a very high visualization but still it's a visualization it's not realization but this visualization will take you to the realization today's imagination is tomorrow's realization today's visualization and that's how we find just narada by relating that how he came in association with the sages and when they left they gave him he was hearing for the four months the life of krishna you will find at the time of initiation if you go for initiation in our order especially first they say read the life of ramakrishna then sir just i want some mantra no it's not that easy first go through the life read the gospel why that's the four months after going that now you develop the love for that form when you think of that form think of that name behind that what the spiritual treasure is that's there that has been encoded in this 
now you are prepared for now the mantra and the murti this become important and that's what after the four months that was given to them before they left and that's the grace has been given and now we will find this young boy he got the mantra he got the divine mantra he got the form to meditate upon and that form which is in which is encoded the life of his ishta but the only hindrance now is the mother so now the next portion we will take up i was i actually had a thought i will today end up the class i had a thought that we will actually take up the gospel of sri ramakrishna for the the three month uh, three twisters of uh, first three twisters of every month and the last uh, twisday we will keep it for the shrimad bhagavatam but as uh, uh, we are in just in the midway today so i will continue with the bhagavatam again in the next class and after that every month we will have the gospel of sri ramakrishna for the first three weeks and the bhagavatam the storytelling in the uh, last week and if some portion remains we will take up again in the next week so this two will go hand in hand so we today because uh, you will find that that uh, to relate to the bhagavatam how that the gospel also will help us a lot and the gospel is something very very contemporary it will become more easy to relate to those words when we just try to reflect on it some wonderful meanings will come out it can be quite interesting so we will take up the gospel but in the next class uh, we will continue with shrimad bhagavatam just to complete the uh, narration of the about the life of narada that what how his spiritual practice after the sages left him it started how it started how it culminated how it led to the realization and how he became a nitya siddha to continue that for the cycles of creation together just to help out the human kind out of ignorance so it's a wonderful inspirational story which has been related in the bhagavatam we will continue again in the next class and just to let you know that we will on tuesday take up the gospel and uh, uh, the last week will be allotted to the study of the shrimad bhagavatam uh, but whenever we find that uh, there's a portion is remaining we will of course follow it up in the next class so with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskar